Good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. Good to be with you. Uh, been going through a, a series on the Gospel of Luke, and I intend to uh, continue that this evening. Uh, and that'll be, we'll be talking about uh, where Mary comes and, and meets with her cousin Elizabeth and, and all the interactions they have there and the you might call it a psalm or a song of praise that Mary uh, brings out. We'll study that tonight. But uh, this morning, I would like to talk about uh, something a little different. Uh, I'd like to talk about the fire of God. And that can bring to mind a number of different things. Uh, you know, judgment, fire and brimstone. That's kind of the first thing that would come to mind. Uh, but there's more to it than that. And, and primarily... I think that there's the holiness of God. When we think about the fire of God, we should think about God's holiness and his power that's demonstrated in, the, in that. And of course, there certainly is an element of judgment that goes on in the passages that talk about the fire of God. The um, popular culture, we, we kind of think maybe even cartoons of, of heaven and hell and these sorts of things. Satan would be there at his desk or at his throne or whatever and with fire and hell, and he's sort of in charge there, and and uh, and then God is in the clouds and that sort of thing. I'm not saying that's completely a, a biblical picture, but that's sort of the popular image. Uh, but I would like to suggest to you that uh, this idea of fire really belongs more to God as we look in the Bible. I've been reading through the Bible. I hope you all do that, the Bible reading plans where you go through the entire Bible, and so I've kind of been sort of going through that. What's one of the patterns I've noticed is there certainly is a lot of references uh, for our God being related to fire imagery. And I, uh, sort of inspired by, by that observation, did an analysis and found uh, 250 passages that sort of have these together, this element of, of, of God and, and fire or burning or smoke or something like that together. And as I kind of studied through those and distilled that down, kind of found these, these, these three things that we're going to talk about. Some of them relate to God's holiness and some with his power. And then, of course, he uses that power in his ability to judge. And so they're all interrelated. He, he, he judges because he's holy and he has power. It's just all kind of connected together. But this morning, I'd like to, to look at these elements about God and as it relates to this fire imagery, and examine ways we need to respond to God's attributes of holiness and power and judgment. So what is holiness? Would be perhaps the first question. We talked a little bit about that in our uh, Bible class this morning. Sanctification, and what does that mean? So there's a, some Hebrew words that relate to that, and uh, things like sanctuary, holiness, the holy place in, in like the, in the temple or the tabernacle, the idea of dedicated, consecrated. In the New Testament, we have a, a different word and it holiness or sometimes the saints. So the Christians, right? The, the holy ones that we're trying to live holy lives. We're referred to as holy uh, in a sort of a, a, a noun sense. So we're, we use the word saint to talk about that. I found a definition to, to sort of, Try to bring that together. Holiness is, is that quality of God 
and of things, like in the temple and the worship, and of persons, like Christians who are living holy lives. They're set apart for God that marks whatever possesses it as different and other than the ordinary things of creation. Holy things are special. They're set apart for a distinct purpose, sacred, dedicated, consecrated, and, and the saints would be included in that. So this idea of, of fire, we have in that, and we all are familiar with fire, a campfire or whatever, uh, maybe even a house fire, maybe we even experienced a, a destructive fire, but there's heat and there's light in that. Um, it's, it's untouchable. You can't really handle that. Maybe you can put your finger through a candle and do a little joke or whatever, but a, a serious fire, you can't really get, get into that. That's, that's dangerous. There's a sense in which it can purify things. And, uh, even the ancients and, and even in industry today, we use uh, fire to, to uh, melt metal and to, to separate the impurities out, to, to make uh, metal pure, to cauterize things. Um, we have some of the prophets having a, a coal touch to their unclean lips and to, to make them pure. And there's a sense in which it's spiritual. I mean, the word spirit is this idea of wind or breath. Uh, spirit, it's fire, it has a sense of that, right? That it's almost like a gas or a vapor. And when we look at it, um, but of course, rather than just wind, fire is much more powerful. So it's a much more enhanced idea of this spiritual nature. So as we think about the holiness of God and how it relates to fire, God is different. He is other He's not just regular, he's extraordinary, he's set apart, he's sacred, and, and there's a sense in which he's unt untouchable, except through the mediation of, of the Son and the Spirit that we have in Christ. So if we think about God's holiness, how holy is God? In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, Isaiah the prophet there uh, says, and, and one called to another in, in this heavenly, holy heavenly scene, the throne scene. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so this, this uh, repeating holy three times, we even talked this morning, the, there's the holy place in the, in the tabernacle and the holy of holies. And so they say the holy of holies is sort of a way to say the holiest place. But the holy, 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 we're saying just the, the utmost superlative the most holy of all. God is most holy. And we have this same language echoed in Revelation 4, 8, where the same things are said in that similar heavenly throne scene where, where God is said to be holy. And if we think about everything we're amazed at in, in God's creation, maybe waterfalls, sunset, maybe the snow, unless it's, we're having a, a trouble digging out, but it's beautiful. Uh, rock formations, rainbows, all these things that we see in nature. You know, it says the whole earth is full of his glory. These are reflections of the glory of God. But God is the most glorious and most holy of all. If we look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, this is where Moses initially encounters God in the burning bush scene. It says there in Exodus 3, verse 2, 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Because it wasn't just regular fire. This was some symbol of the presence of God, this fire. And as that account goes on in verse 5, it says there, Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the Lord your I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This was holy ground. And we had this, this presence of God represented in this fire, this special spiritual fire. And Moses feared this powerful, holy God. And of course, we need to have this fear of God as well. Sometimes we, we explain that that's a respect and that's correct, but we also need to recognize God's power and holiness and, and truly fear recognizing his power. <laughs> Exodus 13, 22, as the Israelites were led through the wilderness, we see here that the Exodus 13, 22, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So God's presence is, is both represented in this cloud, and I would suggest to you cloud of smoke, it's kind of the same word, um, and in fire. So depending on what time of the day it was, you'd see it for what it was. You'd see the, the, the light in that fire in the evening. And I would suggest to you the phrase that we say, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. The, uh, the, fire, the smoke of God is, appears and that represents his fire as well and his holiness. <clears throat> so where there's a cloud of smoke, there's God and these spiritual visions. So thinking about God's holiness and how we ought to respond to that, since, since God is holy, he needs to be honored and worshipped with fear and respect. And at, the, at the end of, the, uh, of Exodus, the people erect a, a tabernacle there, and they build it to God's design. There's lots of details given about that. But in Exodus chapter 40, in verse 34, we see there, Then the, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And sort of this cloud is the glory of the Lord, in a sense. This is God's presence coming in in this, in this cloud of smoke and representing the fire and the power and the holiness of God coming in and filling that temple. And then verse 38, For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And so that uh, initially led them out of, of Egypt, and then, and then through their wanderings, and, and also when, when the tabernacle was, was uh, stationary, the presence of God was seen in this cloud, in this fire, representing the presence of God. So in the book of Leviticus, we get uh, a lot of things about holiness. In chapter 9, we have the first sacrifices being done in, in the newly established tabernacle that, that's finally uh, established. And uh, Leviticus 9, verses 3 through 4, we read there, 
And it says, And say to the, to the people of Israel, Take a male goat for a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. And so we see in this Old Testament system, they would sacrifice these precious animals in their economy and as prescribed by God, and they would burn them. So there would, there would be this element of fire again involved in, in coming to God and, and interacting with the presence of God. And it says here at this first occasion of this, do all of this for today the Lord will appear to you. You'd have to wonder if they're wondering what, what would that be? What, what does that mean that we're going to see the Lord? And if we go on in uh, later in Leviticus 9, verses 23, it says, And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people in some sense. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. And so we see here <clears throat> example example of God's glory and holiness. There's some sense in which they saw him and there was fire involved in his, in his power coming out. Uh, and as, as we think about the power of God that we see in this, that's, that's early our, our next focus here. We want to think about this fire imagery associated with God and how it relates to his power interacting with his holiness and interacting with, with judgment as well. But if we think about uh, when Israel was at Mount Sinai and Moses was interacting with God and getting the Ten Commandments and all of that, in Exodus chapter 19, starting in verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Verse 18, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So we see here in these verses the power of God, and it's manifested in, in thunder and lightning. And, uh, you know, lightning is a sense of fire from heaven. Uh, and it talks about this cloud and, and smoke and a trumpet, the great uh, noise that you could imagine that would be. It wouldn't just be someone in the band. It would be something thunderous from God that would be terrifying. It talks about the smoke and the fire like a kiln. That's where you fire pottery and just the intense heat from that. And there's reference to an earthquake and how the people were terrified. Just seeing, and God isn't here for, this isn't judgment, this is just showing God's power. Recognizing his holiness and his power. Another example we can think about from 1 Kings 18, the contest between Elijah and the Lord. 
against the prophets of Baal and the false god Baal. It says here in verse 24, where they're setting up that contest, and you call upon the name of your God, this false Baal, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah God, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. It's a fair contest. So Baal versus the true God. And then verse verse 28 here, of course, the, the Baal worshipers, the priests, they cried out aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them as they were becoming so frustrated that it's not working. They're take, taking it up a notch here. And, and as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention because there is there is no God but our God. This this false act to try to to bring down fire from heaven was was a big waste. In <clears throat> verse thirty six. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah, the prophet, came and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their, their hearts back. We see in verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench that they had drenched this thing and, and filled this water trench all around it. So we're, I don't know if we're supposed to imagine lightning coming down or just flamethrower, the fire of, of God, uh, some sort of image where where this would come down out of heaven and we would see the power of God. And of course, uh, the people um, react to this, of course, and that's how, how we ought to react when we see God's power and recognize God's power. We should have zeal. And so as we look at, uh, as this story progresses in verse 39, we'll see some of that. And we should have emboldened uh, zeal to, to follow God as as these people did, as they repented in this. First Kings 18.39, And when all the people saw it, saw this fire that had come down and the foolishness of the Baal worshippers, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And it's interesting, even Elijah's name means the Lord is God. And so uh, he, he's sort of been professing that all, all along, even by his presence with his name. But now the people finally get it. They, they were duped by this false Baal worship. And now they, uh, they go on then to, to seize and kill the prophets of Baal according to the word of Elijah and God's will on that. Because they had previously been following Baal and were unsure. They, were un, they weren't sure uh, which, which is the true God. But at this point, they're sure. Seeing the power of God brings them to be zealous and, and repenting and dedicating to God. So let's think about Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, it says there, If I say I will not mention him, 
or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Jeremiah is being persecuted and, and concerned about uh, persecution as he's teaching the word of God and proclaiming God's word. People are against him. But even in the midst of that, he has this attitude and recognizes that there's this burning in his heart to share the word of God. He has that zeal and that commitment and that fire in his belly, as we might say. And it's that same idea. You know, there, there's a sense in which we're, we're made in God's image. And perhaps part of that is that we have or ought to have this, this fire within us. We see the similar language in 2 Timothy 1, 5 through 6 here, where Paul's writing to Timothy and encouraging him. I am reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, for Timothy, that might be some spiritual, miraculous spiritual gift that, that Paul had, had given to him. But nevertheless, we can, we can think of this example that we need to fan into flame our zeal and, and our faith. Perhaps sometimes our, our faith ebbs and flows and gets weak as we struggle with different things. We need to encourage one another. And, and fan our hearts into flame for God. As we think about all the things that Jesus did, and all the disciples didn't understand what he was all about, uh, after, after he was crucified and rose from the dead, people still didn't get it. And, and in Luke 24, we have uh, that, that occasion where Jesus appeared to those people on the road to Emmaus, and they didn't recognize him. Apparently, he has obscured his identity from them somehow, and he started uh, explaining to them all the things from Moses and all the prophets and all the scriptures concerning himself. And then later, toward the end of that, he's revealed who he was, and, they were, and he left, sort of disappears from their presence. And they say then, in verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they, he broke bread with them, and he was revealed in the breaking of the bread. And of course, this this uh, recognizing his uh, his power in this, it led led them to have zeal for the risen Lord, and he had power over all these things. He had power over death itself. So judgment is our third idea here. Of course. As I read through and studied through this, this is the overwhelming majority of verses are really about, about uh, references to God and his fire related to judgment on evil, evil doers. And we often think of the phrase fire and brimstone, which uh, comes from the situation with Sodom and Gomorrah. And we can look at that in Genesis 19. The people of Sodom were wicked and these angels came to that town and Genesis 19.24, then, then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew in the ground. He destroyed that area due to their wickedness. This wasn't some indiscriminate, purposeless 
destruction. This is because of the evil of the people. They uh, mistreated those angels who they thought were men that had come uh, to visit there and really to investigate what's going on with Sodom and Gomorrah. And their sins had already heaped high enough that God sent these angels to come and check it out and destroy them. And the, even in that visit, the people behaved so wickedly. And so the Lord rained sulfur and fire. And again, this, this image of fire that, that comes from God, showing his, his power, it's due to his holiness. He cannot abide this wickedness. And so he, he destroys those who reject him in that way. If we think back to Leviticus 9, where we had those first sacrifices being made in the tabernacle, and the fire from God came out in his presence and burned the sacrifices, uh, that was all pretty amazing. But if we go on right from there at the end of Leviticus 9 into chapter 10, we go and see about Nadab and Abihu right in that same context where God had shown his glory, shown his power in demonstrating his holiness. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. This should have been no surprise. God had just burst out fire and burned those sacrifices and showing his, his glory and his, his majesty and his power. And they just sort of thumbed their nose at the holiness of God and, and did things in ways other than what God had prescribed for these things to be done. And these were the, the priests. They should have known better. And they just did not care about God's holiness. So God judges with fire. And there's plenty of other imagery with prophets. Uh, there's full of fire imagery and all of the, the judgments that are called upon different nations and from sometimes on disobedient Israel, the people of God, as they weren't acting like the people of God. Some of this fire was called out upon them. But knowing that that God is holy and powerful, and that he judges with fire, what should our response be? And we should be holy, recognizing all these things about God. We need to be holy. Malachi 3, verse 2, But who can endure the day of his coming, the coming of the Lord? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. So the question is, who can stand? Well, not the wicked. The wicked will be destroyed. We need to be holy and washed in the blood of the Lamb and live faithful lives. And this imagery of that melting that metal down, this intense heat, should be should be frightening as we think about the power of God and his, the holiness of us that his holiness demands. We need to be holy as he is holy. As the Leviticus 11.45 says, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I 
him holy. The people of God have, have always been expected to honor God and to be holy. Of course, this reference to Egypt is often recited for the people of God because he brought them out with a mighty hand. You'd never think that those slaves could just escape like that. Well, they didn't. God delivered them from Egypt. And, and while none of us have been slaves in Egypt, I don't suppose, we have been slaves to sin. And through Christ, we have been made free from sin. And so we can think about that same concept when we think about Egypt. It's shorthand for, for our, our slavery and for our deliverance from that. And therefore, we should be holy as well. And it's re reiterated in the New Testament, 1 Peter 1.14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, as God is holy, as Christ is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Our conduct matters a great deal. That's what faith is. Faith is not simply uh, believing a fact and checking a box. Faithfulness is living an obedient life to God and living holy. <clears throat> but what else? Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. 2 Corinthians 5.11 God is holy and he will judge the wicked as some of these examples we've looked at. And we know that that's on deck today as well. There's a judgment coming. It's an urgent need we have to share the gospel with the dying world. Let's look more at uh, what Peter had to write here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's read some verses here from 2 Peter chapter 3. God judges, so be holy. 2 Peter 3, 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? How ought we to live our lives knowing full well that God has judged and destroyed the earth before and he's promising to do it again? Lives of holiness and godliness. We should be waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. There's that concept of the earth was destroyed with the flood, and then there's a new earth. Well, it's going to be destroyed again. And then there's this imagery of new heavens and new earth, and we read more about that in Revelation this idea where we can dwell forever with the Lord. So we're talking about the fire of God. God is absolutely holy. He's the most holy of all. He's the only true God. And he is all-powerful and almighty. And he, because he is holy, he needs us to be holy and well, he will judge. He will judge us. And he has the power to, ju to judge us. So all of that together is a prescription for living holy lives to honor God. Because of his holiness, we should respond and worship him, recognizing and worshiping him carefully in such a way to honor his holiness. And recognizing his power, we should live zealous lives honoring God. And because of his judgment, we should live holy lives, honoring him, fearing God. So I think uh, by way of invitation, this verse that we looked at in 2 Peter 3.11 is, is a good one to think about. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, this earth will be burned up. Since that's true, what sort of people ought all of us to be in holy conduct and godliness. What about you in your life? Have you even named Christ? Have you obeyed Christ and uh, put him on in baptism? Have your sins washed away? If you need to do that, we want to help you. Or if uh, here where you're living in the world, but not of the world, well, sometimes that line slips, right? We're living in the world, and sometimes we are of the world. We need to not do that. We need to live holy lives, have holy conduct and godliness. If there's some things you need to uh, to straighten out in your life, we encourage you to do that. And if it's something we can help you with, we want to pray with you and help you in that. We're going to sing a song. Hark the gentle voice of Jesus is calling for us. Jesus wants, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. So if there's anything you need to do, we're going to stand and sing this song together and we invite you to come. <laughs>